0: Hi, this is Rebecca Cardin, and you're listening to Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Hi, this is host Stephen Brittingham. Welcome to your home for meaningful and in-depth interviews with Hollywood's most interesting people. Hollywood and Beyond Podcast.
0: have a question or comment for Stephen you can send them anytime to the show's official email address Hollywood and Beyond show at gmail.com Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon
1: selected clips and music appear courtesy of CBS television and the amazing race
0: thank you for listening here is your host Stephen Ferdiningham
1: Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond, friends and listeners. This is host Stephen Brittingham. Season 3 resumes and I am thrilled to be back in action. My first guest of 2021 who is visiting Hollywood and Beyond to share her memories of appearing as a contestant on The Amazing Race, season number 6 on CBS, back in 2004. My special guest today is Rebecca Cardin. The Amazing Race is hosted by Phil Kogan, and airs on CBS.
2: I'm standing high above the city of Chicago, America's gateway to the Midwest. From this windy city, 11 teams will embark on a race around the world for $1 million. speedboats are now racing the teams across Lake Michigan toward downtown Chicago. Each team is made up of two people with an existing relationship. Adam and Rebecca, ex-lovers, trying to rekindle their relationship. I work at uh, a gym and Rebecca walked in one day and I thought she was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen. It's a great opportunity for us to find that spark again.
0: What made Adam and I stop being boyfriend and girlfriend a year ago was our lack of communication. We would fight and push each other's buttons constantly.
2: Your first clue is waiting inside the envelope on top of the luggage you brought with you. When I give you the word, you can run over to your bags, read the clue, run into downtown Chicago and catch the train to the airport. The first team to cross the finish line at the end will win $1 million. Yeah! Is everybody ready? Yeah. The world is waiting for you. Good luck. Travel safe. Go! Woo!
1: mentioned during the opening segment, Rebecca traveled the world in pursuit of a $1 million prize. Along the way, she displayed gritty determination and impressive efforts. Rebecca comes from a family of fitness enthusiasts, which might help to explain why she looks so fit today as she did years ago. She also appeared in Bravo's Docudrama Workout where her life as a personal trainer at Sky Sport and Spa in Beverly Hills is displayed. She has been a spokesperson and even found time to be an actress. Excited to have her on the show today. Hey, my suitcase is packed. Rebecca Cardin, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond. Thank you
0: so much for having me. My gosh, that. I've done a lot. I didn't You hear someone say it, and you're like, wow, I've, I've been busy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Thank uh, it's you. It's so some... nice to have you here.
0: Pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: Well, this is a wonderful way to kick off uh, a brand new year, especially after having such a difficult and mostly unpleasant year in 2020 in many ways for all yeah. of us. Um, I'm still counting my blessings, but I am looking for a fresh for start. Sure. So I want to thank you for being my first guest on the show.
0: Ooh, exciting! Opening up the new year. I hope that's like good luck or something for the for the upcoming twenty one twenty twenty one. That you know, good things are coming.
1: <laughs> I think it's going to be. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Well, I'm looking forward to discussing your adventures on the Amazing Race. Oh, yeah. The Amazing Race. Before we do dive into all of that, how about we go back to the very beginning? And by the beginning, I mean, where are you from, Rebecca?
0: I am from a little town. Well, not so little, but um, not too many people have heard of it. It's called Virginia Beach, and it's in Virginia. And yeah, I was born there and raised there, and my family's still there to this day. And yeah, it's a great little beach town, kind of like San Diego, but on the East Coast.
1: Well, that sounds very lovely.
0: It is lovely. (laughs) I'm biased, but what
1: can you say? Well, I'll take your word for it. Okay. And you know what? Uh, Your interest in physical fitness began during your early childhood, from what I understand. And I came across a wonderful story. I believe you were around the age of five, but please correct me if I'm incorrect, And that was that your father took you to the gym and he rewarded you, I believe, with a candy bar every time you completed a set number of pull-ups. So I thought uh I'd uh ask if you wouldn't mind sharing that story, please.
0: Yeah, I mean it's such a it's such a random part of my youth, but my earliest memories as a as a little girl were just going with my father to the gym and he was a professional bodybuilder and you know it was just his whole I mean it wasn't his whole life, he's also an attorney, but it was his his passion, his love, his his everything. So he wanted to instill that upon me, I think, subconsciously. So he'd bring me and I would sit there and just watch and awe and I felt most comfortable in the gyms, just sitting there and watching everybody. And I think well, I was early on where he he was like, Oh, let's try some pull ups here and saw that I had great strength, very, very young. So he would incentivize me with candy bars. I mean, that always works, right? For children. Snickers I think yes. was the was the <laughs> was Ooh. the going bar at the time. And, um, yeah, that would 20, work for me. That would work for me now, I think even. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I could do 20 pull-ups by the time I was five years old. And, uh, yeah, I don't think I can do that today. <laughs> I could probably do 10 though.
1: Well, you look like you are still in, in excellent shape.
0: Oh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I try to, I try to keep, keep the wheels on this bus, you know, as we,
1: <laughs> as we
0: age, you gotta keep doing stuff, right?
1: <laughs> that makes two of us. Let me tell you. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm wondering what did you like about physical fitness at a young age? Yes, you got rewards, mm-hmm. I get that, but uh like beyond that, was there something that was just drawing you in?
0: Well, I think initially it was just the connection I had with my father, you know, it was just a great time for us to bond and it was it was a kind of a common denominator for us to have in common. And then from there it just became something that was like a meditation almost. I would go to the gym and I could shut off everything that was happening, you know, the the busy day or the stress or a boyfriend or whatever it was. And I, I could just put my earplugs in or at the time, I think it was like a Walkman. <laughs> Am I aging myself? Probably. And I could just, you know, zone out and focus on the, the physicality and the um, emotional release and the physical release and all of it. It was just like a culmination of, of good vibes and good things, and I became addicted to that. And yeah, I mean, not in like a creepy, weird, obsessive way, but in a healthy way, where I was like, okay, I need to do the gym, like I need to brush my teeth. It's just part of my self care, and that's just I've kept that. Thank God, I feel very grateful to have kept that um, passion since then. Since early, early on, I'd say 13, I started going to the gym frequently, and or doing some type of physical fitness, and it's never stopped.
1: It's kind of like waking up in the morning and going, wow, let's see. I wonder what I can do today that involves physical fitness.
0: Yeah. I mean, just moving your body in whatever capacity that looks like. I mean, it's definitely changed and evolved over the years for me. It used to be a much more, uh, I, I needed something loud. I needed spinning or I needed... Uh, something that drowned out the voice. It sounds like I'm schizophrenic. I'm, I swear I'm not. <laughs> Although some people might disagree. <laughs> um, but I just needed something loud. And then as I got older, I kind of needed something a little bit softer and more quiet and more intuitive and introspective. And then that's when I found yoga and meditation. So it's definitely been a process. Um, but it, always the importance of moving my body daily has been prevalent.
1: Was there other family members that were also interested or involved with physical fitness uh, other than your father?
0: Oh, yeah. Mom, mother, very, very into fitness to this day, just three hours of yoga a day. She can run circles around me. And my brother, also uh, very, very fit. And all my cousins, I mean, yeah, we're like from a very fit family. It's like a lot of six-packs going on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
1: i bet sounds like
0: everybody it. everybody it's funny when we get together everybody grabs everybody's arms when we say hello everybody's like feeling everybody and it's just very hilarious when i bring people around my family like your family's very touchy i'm like yeah, we're a very tactile group
1: <laughs> you know this is reminding me of the uh wrestling duo that was a part of the season of the amazing race that you were on. Uh, oh, it seems like they yeah. were always throwing each other to the ground or, or putting each other in headlocks.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what happens when you are when you spend a lot of time uh, honing the instrument that is your body. You know, you tend to utilize yes. it in every way, which is, is uncomfortable for some people who don't do that because they're not used to maybe being touched in that way. Because in the gym, you know, you touch people, especially as a trainer. I always have my hands on my client's. And it's just part of the deal. So, yeah, you'll find that a lot with people who are gym rats. We touch each other a lot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And years later, you competed with your father. And I believe this was uh, a competition that involved weightlifting. And both of you won a father-daughter duo. It was the
0: craziest thing. I remember my first time bench pressing I was 5 pounds off the state record. So my father, who had many many world records because it's all different kinds of organizations and each organization has their own world record. So my father had broken m- several of them. And when he realized I had a natural strength, he trained me and we started off, you know, going to the state competition, then the nationals, and then eventually I broke my first world record. Um, and that was just such a crazy time. I was like, what is going on? We were getting like all these calls from like good morning America and just just traveling and doing interviews. It was a very bizarre thing to, to have such a, to get accolades for something that became, that came so naturally to me. I mean, I really didn't have to put much effort into it. So it almost felt like I was like, Oh God, I felt like I was going to get found out or something like it just felt very imposter syndrome because it wasn't anything I really had to work very hard at.
1: Very nice, and you won a competition that became a record.
0: Yeah, yeah, I broke a world record um, in bench press. Wow. I could I could put up 135 pounds in my division, which was the 17 to 19 aged category, weighing at the time I weighed about 105 pounds was the category. So, yeah, I think the record before me was 115 pounds, and that was the standing record for many, many years. And then I broke it at 135. And for the people that don't know what that is, because I, I mean. 135 like what does that mean it's the the 45 pound uh plates so two of those
1: which was uh oh, i see it was a lot of weight very impressive
0: <laughs> it's a lot of weight for me I mean, yeah. i'm i'm little but that, this, the record i don't know if the record still i'm sure it doesn't still stand but that was this was like back in my gosh i don't even know 1992 <laughs> a long long time ago but it was
1: cool. a long time ago it was
0: cool to break it i was i was loving that. And my dad was so stoked. I remember, I think I was just happy to break it because it brought him so much joy.
1: And you both uh, received quite a bit of attention. I believe together you both appeared on even a show like Good Morning America.
0: Yeah, in New York, they flew us out there and put us up. And oh. And uh, I remember my dad was so nervous. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. We were staying at the St. Regis in New York, and he like couldn't sleep. And I slept like a baby. I was like, this is my wheelhouse. Like, Give me a camera and let me talk. And I got this. So I I just went on there and was like, I love this. I think that set the precedent <laughs> for me to have a future in television because I felt extremely comfortable in in like, okay, this is my domain. My dad, not so much.
1: <laughs> Your dad, not so much. <laughs> not
0: so much my dad. No. <laughs> no, for you,
1: it was kind of a sign of things to come yeah, down the it was road. Like
0: a little foreshadowing.
1: <laughs> so I'm wondering when college you know, became an option for you, mm-hmm. is that what you wanted to do was go directly to college or were you kind of considering another path? No,
0: I was always going to go to college. Um, I went to a, a college preparatory school in Virginia, well, actually in Norfolk, Virginia, which is right outside of Virginia Beach. And kind of the whole deal, it's a really good school called Norfolk Academy and the whole deal is they they prepare you for college. I mean, that's the whole point of it. So it was always going to be my fate that college was happening. So I applied to a few colleges and I chose George Mason University, which is in Fairfax, right outside of D.C. And I went in there and I wanted to do broadcast journalism. I wanted to do something in the television arena. And, uh, yeah, I was not really thinking fitness could be something that I could build a future in it was more just like a hobby and a love of mine but I wasn't thinking okay I'm going to go to school for fitness it was it was always going to be TV that is I very say.
1: interesting yeah, because I was thinking that maybe you would be like, "Oh, wow! I got to keep, I got to keep doing this. I can have a career and in fitness in some capacity." So that is very interesting yeah, that no, that no. you actually were thinking of other paths to take.
0: Yeah, it was writing and television. Those were my two loves at the time, my two major loves, and fitness was like
1: a third, <laughs> third love. <laughs> well, you are a multi-talented lady, so oh. I'm not surprised to hear this. Well, I appreciate <laughs>
0: that, Stephen. Thank you.
1: Well, you are most welcome. And then I think this is when the time came for you to move out west to L.A. Yeah. So it was
0: 1997. I graduated college, and I didn't know anyone in L.A. And I was like, I'm just going to go to L.A. and be on TV. Like, I was certain of it. I didn't have any question in my mind that was what was going to happen. And I had no idea in what capacity. Was I going to be on a TV show? Was I going to be hosting some news thing? Uh, I had no idea. I just knew I wanted... To be doing something that involved a performance element. And so I just went out there and hit the ground running, got an agent, went on auditions, did a few little independent films. I was a terrible, terrible, terrible auditioner. I was, I always like clammed up and oh messed my. up my lines. I had so much performance anxiety. Once I got the job, I was fine. I was calm and I could nail it. But it was just in the audition room, I just was horrible. So <laughs> so I don't know. I think I just was like, maybe this isn't for me because I can't seem to relax in the audition process. And that's kind of 98% of it. Um, yeah. So that's what happened. And then, the the next big step was Amazing Race. Really, that's I, I don't know if I'm skipping a few steps here, but that feels like
1: not at all. But it sounds like maybe you just had a lot of energy during these auditions. <laughs> was that it? Like you just couldn't settle yourself down. I don't to,
0: know. Uh, I think I just, just something felt, was. I would always look around the audition room, and I I think I was like, oh well, maybe that girl's better for the role, or that girl's better looking, oh, or that see. girl's taller, or that girl's mm-hmm. skinnier. I mean, there was always this this element of comparison, and I think that was. That really worked to my detriment, because when you're out in L.A., you can't even have a, an ounce of questioning yourself. It has to be full-on, I believe that I am 100% right for this, and I just didn't quite feel that way.
1: Well, at it's, least you were yeah. trying to be honest with yourself.
0: Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, for sure.
1: That's that's always beneficial, and, and your perspective is definitely correct as far as, you know, the entertainment industry or or performing industry. You really gotta be on on top of your game or or feel good about it as a as a person as well and let that be shown to others. But I have to admire that you were you were trying to get this going for you, uh uh, you know, an acting career. Uh well before we get to the amazing race, I did have a quick question. Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Well I came across this just uh by chance, so to speak and uh, during my research of you, which I so enjoy doing, because you're just a remarkable lady. You've accomplished so much. Oh, goodness. And that is, there was a pilot for, uh, I believe, maybe a movie or a television show called Surfer Girl. Yes. And well, man. I read that, like, on the first day of rehearsals, you found yourself in a little bit of hot water.
0: I did. I sure did. <laughs> well, I, went. it was called surfer girls, it was about four girls who surfed and were in a band and I didn't surf and I didn't play an instrument. Oh. So that was, you know, already oh. working against me. So I went gotcha. out and I, I rented a surfboard <laughs> from this little shop in Venice beach And I I went out to the, I don't even know which street, Rosecrans I think it was. For those people that don't live in LA, that's like a big surfing spot. And I just paddled out. I was like, I'm going to teach myself how to surf. And I spent a good afternoon out there just flailing. So then I remember the day came for the audition and I brought my surfboard to the audition. And I acted like I couldn't leave it in my car. Like, just ridiculous. And anyway, I got the the role. And um, the day... Uh, I remember they called and... Wh- wait, what part were you talking about? Because was a few sticky parts, and I'm curious which one you're oh, wow. referring to. Oh, wow. So
1: there's more than one. <laughs> were... I thought maybe there was just one one scenario. Well, what I had come across, yes. uh, Rebecca, was that apparently you had worn a thong, oh, yeah. and one of the producers thought that was just unprofessional.
0: Yes, yeah. So at the at the audition on the beach, like the final call, <laughs> I wore a, G, a G-string, a white G-string to the... I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, I was, thought, Oh, this looks cute, and um, <laughs> and I got the part. So I was like, okay, I must have done something right. And then a, a couple weeks later, before we were start to start scheduling the filming setup, um, somebody called my agent and said, "Oh, Rebecca is actually we've decided to go a different direction, and we just didn't think that she was serious enough, like based on her attire." And I was like, oh my god! But then you know what? The pilot didn't even get, end up going getting picked up. So I. I'm gonna say it's because they didn't cast me. <laughs> we'll say that, right?
1: Yeah, let's stick with that. We'll stick with absolutely. That. <laughs> well, it sounds like you had a uh, quite a bit of of uh, situations there. Did you ever stick with surfing, or is that just something you were not interested in?
0: I'm, I mean, I like to surf. I'm not very good at it. When someone, when my, my fiance is a surf coach and when I go out with him, sometimes he'll push me into waves and I'm, I'm, I can ride anything I'm pushed into. I mean, within reason, okay. obviously I can't probably go to pipeline or anything. Um, but I feel very confident in my ability to get up and stand up and ride the wave, but I can't paddle in. I'm, that that's like a whole different skill set that I haven't <laughs> mastered maybe one day. <laughs> I think there's hope for me. Well,
1: I know if you set your mind to it that you can do it. That much I know for
0: sure. Oh, well, that's very... I appreciate that confidence.
1: Well, hey, let's get to the amazing race. All right. Let's dive in. Wow, there's a lot to discuss. And I really enjoyed watching you throughout that that season, which was number six. Mm -hmm. Uh, I found it to be a rather, at times, intense season. Uh, there were some people with some pretty big personalities, especially dealing with frustrations. And um, I really admired your determination. I thought you had a lot of energy. You were very enthusiastic, and and you really tackled on your tasks as positive as you could. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it wasn't always easy, of course, but I really admired your efforts, and I wanted to mention that. Oh, but how yeah. does this all start? I know that you were teamed with, at the time, it was described as your ex-lover, or you <laughs> I could know. say ex-boyfriend. Oh, every time I, ex-lover came yes. up on the
0: screen, I was like, I'm going to barf right now. It's so gross. <laughs> so
1: you didn't know that was the description you would be labeled with?
0: You don't know anything until you watch it. You have no idea what kind of edit <laughs> you're going to get. I mean, it is like, it is out of your hands.
1: Whoa. I was, well, yeah.
0: I was like having like holding my breath. I'm like, please let the editing gods be good to me.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm very curious. Two things. I mean, how did this idea to become a contestant even start for you? And if you were not with your partner at the time, I mean, how did that all come to fruition then?
0: So our first year dating, it was his favorite show. And I remember every week he'd be like, oh, we got to watch this. It's the best show ever. And I'd be like, oh, okay, whatever. And I, and I got very sucked into it because, of course, it's an extremely addictive show. And I was like, this show mm-hmm. is incredible. And we'd be sitting on the couch like a lot of people do, um, shouting at the TV, saying, oh, 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 I could do that. I could do that. Or or like when it comes to a detour, you'd be like, oh, they picked the worst one. Like if I were them, they would, I would have picked this one. and we would have, We would have won this thing. You know, everybody – has those feelings uh those grandiose ideas that if it were them on the show, they would win the million. No problem because they're so much smarter, more capable, intelligent or whatever. And we have the same thing. We'd be like, Oh my God, we could do this show. This is so easy. Like no big deal. and, So we sent in a tape and mind you, this was in 2004. So this was a VHS tape we sent in (laughs) and (laughs) we just kept it really, we kept it super simple. We set up the, the little portable camera on top of my television in my apartment in Koreatown and we just hit play and we sat on the bed and we just talked for about two minutes, just kind of gave a little bit of our personalities And that was enough to get us in the door. I know a lot of people make these crazy videos and they do editing and they get fancy, but the casting directors are really just looking for real authentic people that have an interesting story. And at the time we were not dating when we applied, we were broken up, but I was still very much in love with him and wanted to work on the relationship. So I guess CBS thought that was compelling enough to bring us onto the show the fact that we had this unresolved relationship. They love an unresolved situation. They love when, you know, couples are kind of trying to figure things out or trying to test it to see if they could have a future together. It just makes it for more interesting on the race, I guess, while they're filming. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the, the story behind it and, and why we made the tape and, and the first steps of the process, which was very arduous and very grueling.
1: Thank you for sharing that. That is very interesting. Um, that was an excellent answer. Thank oh, you. Yeah, and sure. <laughs> you are correct, Rebecca. I agree with you. <laughs> Couples that have ongoing issues or a past history, as a viewer, I go, okay, maybe this race will bring them together. Right. They'll bond together. Maybe they'll realize how much they care for the other person. And then again, there have been situations where they actually realized the opposite' sure. or not a really good fit. so I admit I, w- I too was intrigued to find out how things would go between you and Adam if I-, I could tell right from the beginning that there was a lot of unresolved feelings there on both sides so I was very intrigued by that and I was wa- I'm wondering though, had you traveled a lot previously before uh, you appeared on the show?
0: I had, yes. Adam had never left Sherman Oaks, California. I mean, he was still lived at home with his parents and he was very, very, very sheltered. Um, I remember I brought him home the year before and he wouldn't get on the little plane that takes like, cause you have to take a small plane to, into Virginia beach because there's no big planes that fly into the airport. So we had to take a little propeller plane and he wouldn't get on the plane. And I was like, Oh, I got to break up with this guy. Like, this is not okay. Um, but I pushed through it, and I think I stuck around a couple more years, as we do <laughs> in our youth, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, there you go. So they, I think it was a good dichotomy of of myself that was well traveled and felt comfortable in foreign places, and and with Adam, who was the antithesis of me, and felt very uncomfortable leaving his comfort zone.
1: And I'm wondering. Did you ever get to speak with or meet with Phil before the competition officially begins?
0: No. Phil was not part of the casting process whatsoever.
1: Gotcha. And another thing that I've thought of, uh, you can tell I've really thought of these things, Rebecca, is, uh, you know, the backpacks when the race first starts. Yeah. I mean, are you free to put in whatever you wish?
0: Yeah. I mean, there is some contraband that they, we, they go through our bags like every two to three days, to make sure we don't have any GPS devices or, uh, I can't even yes. think now what <laughs> anything that could be, can, you know, give us an, an advantage. Um, but yeah, other than that, you know, you're up you're you can pack what you want. I mean, this was when I was on, it was well before cell phones or anything like this. So, Wait, was it before cell phones? I think it was. Maybe cell phones well, had see. just come out, 2004. Yeah,
1: I think they were like just coming out. Like, I remember maybe the real ti- Remember the really tiny silver ones? Yeah, like the And Eric's they had a small antenna. The,
0: the razors. Remember that?
1: <laughs> I mean, you really couldn't do anything but maybe text and call. Yeah, almost. It, was it was all
0: just T- T9 mode. Remember yeah. T9 mode? Oh my God, kill me.
1: Yes. So, trying to maybe uh, find an edge that way just wasn't going to. Be something you had to worry with at the time. (laughs) Well, this all began on episode one, of course, of the uh, sixth season of The Amazing Race. And I love the title, The Games Afoot. Great title. And we see contestants running into downtown Chicago to catch the train to the airport. And everything will begin at that point. Everybody in pursuit of, of course, $1 million in a prize i'm wondering did you and adam have your eye on any other team in particular where you're like that's the one we really got to keep an eye on
0: oh my god steven we were clueless from the moment phil said on your marks, get set, go. Okay. Like we, we were out okay. of our limits. We had no idea what we were doing. We didn't have confidence in ourselves in each other as a team oh. individually. I mean, we were just running blind. Like if somebody had blindfolded me, it would probably have been the same effect. We didn't know what oh, wow. the hell we were doing. And it was just, I, it was a lot of me looking at other teams, following them, trying to, Kind of emulate their their tactics, and I didn't know what we were. I, I was like, "What?" And Adam was no help. So then I kind of got to the point where I was like, "Okay, I need to like carry this team a little bit because otherwise it's it's not going to work out." So it was terrifying. It was completely and utterly terrifying.
1: So you felt that adrenaline kick in when he said, "You know, the race has begun." Yeah. And uh, the world. Is, I bet that the
0: world is waiting for oh, you. Wow. He said, "The world is waiting for you." I still remember him saying that.
1: Well, very exciting. So you did not actually see the other contestants until that day. No, 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 no. Oh,
0: no, 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 no. We see the contestants many, 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 many times before that first moment. Oh, I see. The cast. I'll give you a little insight to the casting process. So yes, please. For me, it was a four month. Process from the moment I sent the tape in to the moment I got the call that I was on the race. It was four months, and it during that four months it was phone call after phone call after interview after interview. And then you go to CBS and you meet with the creators, and you meet with the producers, and you meet with uh, the hosts or not the hosts, but like the the head, the writers and the creators, and the whole thing. You meet with Bertram, who's Bertram von Munster, who's the creator. And then after all that, then you go to network. So then they put you and about maybe actually, no, let me back up a step before you go to network, you get, you, they bring you to a hotel in Santa Monica. There's about 35 teams. And during that you're in there for a week and you can't leave for a week. And during that week, you undergo psychiatric evaluation. You undergo IQ tests. You have interviews. They explain to you the rules of the game. It's like pretty much like you've gotten the show, but you haven't. So then from there, they, they narrow it down to about maybe 20 teams. And then that's when you go to, to the network. So then 20 teams are piled into this, this boardroom and they call you team by team in to meet with the, the, all the executives and everybody, it's a boardroom of like, I don't even know, maybe 30 suits all just staring at you. And you walk in, you sit in these two chairs and and they field all these questions and they want to know about your personality and how all these, this is craziness. Like you feel like you're on drugs. And from there, that's when you get the call, whether you've made it or not. So that whole thing happens. Mm. And then. When it's time to actually run the race, they don't tell you where we, where you're going. They just put you on. They, they send you your your uh, where you have to be and what time. Obviously, when you get to the airport, you find out where you're going. So for us, it was Chicago. And then when we get to the Chicago, we're brought to the Drake Hotel, and we're there for 10 days in a room, can't leave the room. And we are only, we're only allowed to leave the room when we have to do a meeting, like where they explain the rules and they go over all the stuff and all the deal and all the, you know, safety things. And it is grueling, 10 days of this. And then you get to see all the teams, like at the meals, because we have meals together, but nobody can talk. So you get to see everybody and make your own kind of inferences and like insinuations about who they are and what the deal is. And then the minute they say, okay, the world is waiting for you and everybody runs, you kind of want to start talking to everybody because you've been seeing them, you know, for months. You just didn't, you never could say one word to them. So it's kind of interesting. So by the time Phil says go, you've seen these teams, like you almost feel like you know them already.
1: It is so enjoyable to... Listen to you share all of the behind the scenes <laughs> yeah. uh, happening. There's a
0: lot of behind Thank the scenes. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, no, no. It's I know it's very interesting. The 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 ins and outs and the the minutia that goes into the making of this this production because it's as you know as a fan of the show it is unbelievable what the the amount of teamwork that has to happen the amount of the collaborating and the and the the infrastructure of the whole thing. It's just, it's enough to make your head explode.
1: Rebecca, you are so spot on because I have often thought about, now here is a show that has got to have a ton of preparation on a production standpoint. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they have to go to all of these locations. And then sometimes I'm assuming they have to maybe speak with certain businesses and, and arrange things in advance and I have to tell you what, it's very impressive if you really think about all the hard work that goes into the production.
0: Oh, my hat goes off to them. And there's about 2,000 people that are involved in this production worldwide in any given season. And it is a well-oiled machine. I mean, it is spot on i can only think of one incident my whole race where they weren't they weren't actually prepared like we showed up somewhere and they weren't expecting us to to be there so they weren't phil wasn't there the mat wasn't down it was it was kind of a shit show (laughs) but that's the only well it was
1: bound to happen
0: right (laughs) and the funny thing is um it was, it was during when I came in first place, and they were certain that Adam and I weren't going to get the fast-forward, so they didn't even prepare for us to arrive because they didn't think we were going to get it, <laughs> which is hilarious. Oh they underestimated <laughs> us, Stephen.
1: They sure did, and, <laughs> and hey, you proved them wrong there. Well done. <laughs> Thank well you. Well done. I am very excited to ask you about this. Yeah. And that is airplane tickets. And the reason why is... Yes, occasionally you get tickets, it works out, and you go. But I've noticed that many of the times, Rebecca, I feel like this is actually strategy time. I mean, how you get the tickets, where you get it, the flights, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, What is that whole experience of buying tickets like?
0: That whole experience is the biggest nightmare of my life. I mean, that is probably, (laughs) in the entire race, the airport debacles, were the most, most stressful. And they don't nearly show it enough. I mean, there were times where Adam and I were six hours dealing with with a teller at at any given airport in any given country trying to...
1: to, Six hours? Six hours.
0: I remember we were there one time just... Oh my gosh, it was so horrific. Just going bouncing from different air, different airlines. It's different now. I feel like every airline can kind of pull up all the other airlines. But for whatever reason, in whatever country, they didn't do that. So we would be traveling, bouncing from one to the other to the other, trying to find the best flight and just being exhausted and hungry and just a culmination of, of barriers just in our way. Um, but yeah, so in terms of flights, you, uh, you don't really you don't book your flight so that you travel with a camera guy and a sound guy and they have a credit card and you put the tickets on that credit card. So they actually pay for the tickets and they, you can buy yes. as many as you want as long as they're refundable. So a lot of times we would buy gotcha. like 10, 12, 14 tickets with different times, different locations. And cause a lot of times there'd be maybe there'd be delays or there'd be cancellations, especially in a lot of these third world countries. So we would buy many, wow. many, so many. Oh, so you bought
1: multiple tickets? Yeah, multiple tickets.
0: It was crazy. Huh. It was very, very, well, very stressful.
1: I had a feeling it was. <laughs> and Rebecca, did you notice if anybody bought a ticket for another team, people were not too happy about
0: that? Oh no! Hold on one second. I'm so sorry. Is yeah, go right in. Someone ahead. at my door. Hi. Go for oh, it. Oh, no service tonight. Thank you so much. Oh. I think she's giving me something. Oh, <laughs> gracias good night. Good, night. Good, night. Good, night. good night. Okay, sorry about that. As you can see, I'm in a hotel. And oh, um, well
1: you're so generous to spend time with me. Thank you. Rebecca.
0: No, of course, and of course. That was uh that was turned down service, but I don't need turn down service tonight. I am
1: good. <laughs> well I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Anyway, where were well, we? Drama-
0: oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was gonna say, where were we?
1: Oh, okay. Well, here we go. We're thinking alike. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Well, the dramatic ending to episode one, Rebecca. I remember it well. You and Adam came in number seven, but it's how you came in number seven at the very last minute you were behind uh, an, a, another um team two ladies meredith and maria mm-hmm. i believe and all of a sudden here you come along and you start uh screaming out like you know woo and yeah. and you made it and I, I thought that was a very exciting conclusion to that episode well, for you and adam
0: that was a tricky a tricky moment because we um i put the wrong gas in the tank, which was a rookie mistake. And so I put diesel in a non-diesel car. And luckily, you know, we should not have gotten out. We should have been out first. I mean, Mm. that, that was, that was where we were headed. I mean, it was Adam and Rebecca, you're the, you're the last team to arrive. Like you've been eliminated from the race. Like that is, that is where we were headed. And because thank God Adam is a super fan. He had seen a past episode where somebody else made that same mistake and they drove their car and it broke down and they were eliminated. So we luckily had someone siphon out our gas and we, <laughs> we, he saved the day. It's actually because of Adam, we stayed in the race. Um, but that foot race was great. Cause I remember we pulled up to the, um, the pit stop and we saw another team and Adam and I, I mean, there, when it comes to a foot race, no one's going to beat us, except maybe like okay, Aaron okay. and Hayden, or Freddie and Kendra, or Chris and John. (laughs) But other than that, we (laughs) had it. So we just booked it. I mean, we just, I remember that so well. I was just like, I'm going to run as fast as my legs can carry me.
1: It was really cool. Well, from there, there was a very touching moment for me as a viewer, and I'm sure for so many others as well, and many of the contestants were very touched was arriving in the Western Africa country of Senegal, yeah, arriving in Dakar with the capital city, I believe. And there was an emotional experience because of a location that involved uh, the European slave trade for over 300 years at one time. Um, and I'm just wondering, when you think back, uh, what that experience was like for you, just being at such a location.
0: Oh, it was powerful. It was overwhelming. I mean, the the spirit was palpable. You could really you could cut the 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 tension with a knife. In terms of just feeling the oppression that you know this that those lands had seen for you know so many years. I mean, that was the last point that the that the slaves would would get or the the people not they weren't slaves at the time but the people would get into the boats and and they were sold off to the Americas and that was it that was the end of their life you know as a free person and it was it was really overwhelming for all of us to be in that spot and to feel those those feelings i mean to just try to imagine what it must have been like to get into a boat and leave your everything you know behind and go somewhere and and you're no longer a free person you now belong to someone else and and well I I just was I just remember that we were all very touched by that
1: and I recall the father and daughter team yeah the duo of Gus and Hera Mm -hmm. he actually broke down at one moment and described uh his emotions and and feelings of being there and that was a very touching moment as well
0: yeah I mean of course he was you know as an African-American man of course I mean that's that's just something that you can't probably get your head around just how cruel people could be or just how just how different it could be from how it is today and how far, how far we've come and how far we have to go really
1: still have a ways to go yeah we there's do there's no doubt about it
0: we do but i'm i'm Hopefully hopeful we'll all get there i'm together. hopeful i'm optimistic for us
1: as a, as well, me too. Our humanity. That makes two of us. <laughs> <Yes>. I think <laughs> we'll get there.
0: I know we'll get there. I,
1: I wholeheartedly agree with you. And thank you for sharing that experience with me. I appreciate it. Well, it was off to Berlin. Yes. And I wanted to bring this up because I believe it was a detour. And I found this to be a very memorable uh, event during the race because you had a choice between beer or Brat's. Now the beer was you pick up beers and uh, you're you know you take it and look for photos on coasters at like kind of a pub or restaurant setting, mm-hmm. which is the one that you and Adam chose. We mm-hmm. did. Which uh, I believe you have to uh, hand operate a sausage maker. Yeah. And it had to be <laughs> so many inches and 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 so long. But I mean, what was that like for you when you think back?
0: Well, first of all, when it comes to a detour, Adam and I would always pick the detour that. Was um, more physical. I mean, there were a few times where we, we got it wrong. We definitely picked the wrong detour, but I feel like for the most part, we picked the right ones that best served our skill set. And when it comes to like something like beer, where it's very arbitrary and it's more about just uh, doing a tedious thing back and forth, and that can get really, really frustrating. So I was like, okay, let's make. How bad could it be to make sausage? And it was it was just really funny because making sausages. Like that's so phallic. And I'm just laughing. We're laughing and we're holding these like (laughs) penis shaped things. (laughs) I don't know if I can say that. (laughs) But yeah, that was really, really funny. It was like a nice comic relief moment in the, in the race, which were, were uh, very welcomed to me because I felt like I was very stressed and mean and crying most of the time. So when it was, when there was a moment to have comic relief, I welcomed it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I enjoyed that And you know Speaking of the father And daughter duo The father Gus He really enjoyed The beer um, <laughs> a ch- Challenge Because he kept going You know I think I'm going to have one Yeah I think he was and, wasted And the daughter was like You can't be drinking that He's like No I think I can have one Before we go Yeah He just
0: wanted to, He just really wanted To sit down and have a beer I mean let's be honest <laughs> I, I,
1: I think he did And he probably could use one At that point With, with uh, all that he had been through And everything oh, I think Well we all Let's see here I wanted to ask you about rest periods, the ones that are mandatory where you're all together. Yeah. So, hey, as Phil says, you get together, mandatory rest period yes. to, to have conversation, to dine. I mean, what is that like, and how long does it actually last?
0: So pit stop, I believe there were maybe, oh, God, I can, I'm going to get this number wrong, but I'm going to throw it out there, maybe 12 pit stops on the race. And um, I think about eight of them were 24-hour pit stops. So you... You get to the the pit stop at 824 AM and you depart that pit stop at 824 PM. So you have 12 hours. And usually those 12 hours consist of you get a hotel room, you have meal you they they give you food. It got a little nicer as the race went on because there were fewer and fewer teams. In the beginning our our pit stop, I remember in Iceland was like these little campers in a parking lot. It was really whack. I was like, this is so lame. It didn't even have heat. I was like, this is not cool. But then as we got, the race went on, we got nicer hotel rooms and we got, you know, more lavish meals. <laughs> it was just kind of better. Um, but then four, about four of the pit stops are 48-hour rest stops. And those were the absolute best. Oh, wow. Because you had two days. And I remember we had a pit stop in Stockholm, Sweden, and they they organized this ferry for us to go around. Um all around like a a dinner cruise kind of thing. That was so cool. And then we had another 48 hour in China and we went to, they obviously chaperoned us into the markets and we got to kind of get a feel for the flavor of the culture. And then another 48 hour one was in um, Sri Lanka and they took us to these, these beautiful temples and we got to meet the children and, and uh, yeah, so it, it's a wonderful time to kind of connect with the teams and take a break from the race and everybody's friends and everybody's cool. And you're just really, really grateful for those moments of rest just to take a breath. I imagine. yeah, You just want to take, cause when the race is on, you're just, it is nonstop stress.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's better than sleeping outside, which, <laughs> which occasionally might happen. That
0: does happen. <laughs> that happens a lot, actually. Yes. A lot of sleeping outside.
1: And was sleeping difficult for you and Adam overall when you weren't at a, like, a mandatory rest period, like when you were on the road or on a long plane oh, flight, God, or no. did that come easily?
0: Oh, God, no. I could shut her down on the side of a street, like on the hi- okay. side of a highway with, like, cars zooming by my head. I would just oh, hunker okay. down on the sidewalk, use my backpack as a pillow, and I was out. And, and you're, so, you're just so mentally – forget about the physical part. You're so mentally drained that you just – want to hold hold on to any moment you can to kind of rest and just let your brain take a break so yeah i had no problem just laying out wherever i needed to
1: (laughs) (laughs) well this next topic also i believe in berlin as well i was really impressed with you and also several of the other lady Contestants, Because I noticed for some reason it seemed to be almost, maybe it was all women mm. that actually did this task. And that was at the Olympic Stadium where the 1936 Summer Olympics took place. And this was the hot rocket bungee, mm. which I believe was over 200 feet in the air. And I have to tell you that I really admire your courage because I have issues with heights. <laughs> And did you not... have any fear? I mean, you were really being brave, don't get me wrong, but did you not have any quiet fear on the inside?
0: Well, I remember we all got there early, so they were just setting up. It was still dark out, and we were all trying to mm. sort of anticipate what what the challenge was going to be, what we are going to have to do. So we're watching all the steps. We're watching them bring the crane in, we're watching and we're like, oh my god, it's bungee! It's for sure bungee!" And I remember Adam was losing his mind, because at this point we don't know if we both have to do it, or if one of us has to do it. We have no mm-hmm. idea. We haven't read the clue we don't know. So we're sitting there, Adam's like all about having a complete panic attack and I'm like it's okay, whatever it is, like we'll get through it and I was a little bit stressed cuz I I have bungee jumped before but it's certainly not my favorite thing to do. It's terrifying. I I did not want to do it. I was very very um not eager to step off a platform and, you know, plunge to my demise at all. Oh, so, wow. but then when I got the when I read the clue and it said that we were doing reverse bungee, I, I was absolved of all fear. I was like, Oh, I got hmm. this. Like, they're just going to st- take you, strap you in and then like release you like a rocket. That's no big deal. Like you don't have to jump off anything. There's nothing, there's no reason to be afraid of heights. Um, so I wasn't nervous at all, like at all. And then, oh my gosh, when they launch you,
2: <laughs>
0: I was, it was it's, so, It is like a rocket. It was so <laughs> terrifying. It was so terrifying because oh. when they shoot you up, you sort of like you, you when, when you're at the peak uh, and they, they put weights on me because I didn't weigh enough. So they were weighting me down. Mm-hmm. And so I went up about maybe 225 feet. I went like past the crane way more than you were supposed to way more than any of the other girls did. And then what happens is you kind of reach this pinnacle point, And you sort of are suspended up in the, up in the air. And then you just plummet like a rock. You just plummet straight down. And it's like your stomach goes up into your mouth and then you, and then you swing and you oh, drop wow. again. So it's like 10 different drops and it's um, oh pretty goodness. terrifying. I, I was not expecting it to be as scary as it was.
1: Yeah. I was terrified just watching <laughs> yeah. Rebecca. my head. My head actually was spinning oh. because I'm good at putting myself in other people's shoes. Mm. And that's the reaction I was having. My head was literally spinning. So hats off to you for your uh, <laughs> courage. And I don't blame Adam at all.
0: Oh, well, <laughs> I yeah, I certainly I think I was just I didn't think too much about what I had to do on the race. I just did it. And then in retrospect, I was like, that was bananas.
1: Mm-hmm. And Kendra got a little bit ill even afterwards. She had to lay down on the ground. I
0: know. And
1: uh, I mean, that's, but like you said, it was a reverse a bungee jump, so to speak. So you were like shot up in the air. It was, it was very uh, interesting and fun to watch. Well done by you once again, Rebecca. Mm, and I would love to ask you about these tiny little cars in Budapest. <laughs> Adam started off driving, but then you eventually took over, but everybody, or I should say most people were really struggling with these tiny little cars.
0: Yeah, they're called Trabants and they're tricky. They're not like a normal stick shift or any other car you've ever driven. It has a whole different psychology behind it. And it, uh, it it had some instructions, but they were like illegible. So I don't <laughs> even know what happened. But it had
1: instructions. It had instructions <laughs> to
0: operate. Yeah, like wow. But it was not like anything that was helpful. <laughs> so of course we broke the car and pulled it over the side of the road. And then oh. some guy stopped us and kind of gave me a little tutorial, very brief little introduction mm-hmm. to how to work the car, and I somehow magically managed to. <laughs> To bring it back to life, uh, I still don't know. That was like one of those things where I was like, "I know I was there because I see that I was there," but mm-hmm. I, I feel like I have no idea how that happened.
1: Wow, well, they looked like they were like they were going to break down any minute. I mean, they were
0: ridiculous from the
1: moment you got in it. It just had that vibe going that like this yeah. could easily break <laughs> it's down. It's on its last leg. <laughs> yeah. This is not a reliable
0: And automated. maybe that
1: was part of the point. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It looked like it was on its last leg for sure. And oh Rebecca, this next uh roadblock Oh, my goodness. So on the one hand, I thought, oh, okay, Hungarian soup, right? Yeah. Uh, A 24-ounce soup, but it didn't seem to have anything weird in it. To me, that was like the positive thing. Right, right?" like no bug. But I Mm -hmm. guess it had all of these uh, traditional spices. So my question is, actually, what was in the soup and what made it so difficult for you and others to actually finish off this bowl of soup? Well, first of
0: all, it was the biggest bowl you've ever seen. And when I sat down, I'm like, oh, really? We have to eat this? Like no big deal whatsoever. But we had to eat <laughs> it with a teeny tiny spoon and you couldn't like pick it up and, wow. and drink it. You had to eat it with this teeny tiny spoon. And the, and the, the beauty behind that is the, the slower you eat with the little spoon, the, the hotter it gets, you know, in your esophagus and, and such. So at, after like maybe six or seven scoops, it starts to feel like fire. And so you're just taking mm. spoonfuls of fire. And the funny thing is every single, this is a little behind the scenes trivia for your listeners, every single sure. roadblock detour, every single thing we do is tested and tested and tested by um, producers and creators and everybody—they have a whole team of people that test every single thing we do a hundred million times to make sure it's safe and effective, and time it and see how long mm-hmm. it takes, and you know all the different possible things that could go wrong, you know, just to make sure everything is goes continuously. So they told me that they had they had eaten this soup months and months before in an office in CBS, and everybody that ate the soup was deathly ill for like a week. Ooh. And but they they still went through with it and used that recipe for our soup, which oh was goodness. wonderful. So it was basically <laughs> i would I would attribute it to eating um maybe ten to twelve bottles of tabasco sauce. I would say oh kind of like that. So maybe you Ooh. could have a spoonful here and there, but then the more you have, the more you're just so, so ill. We were all so, so ill. Yeah.
1: Oh, my. That's making me thirsty just thinking about Uh, it.
0: And it was a 48-hour pit stop, and I was so sick that Adam thought about calling Mm. the um, paramedics because I was just really, really, really sick, and I had a fever, and it it nearly killed me. (laughs) Oh.
1: Well, I have to tell you, you really gave it your all. In fact, I was really impressed with how you were handling it compared to many others, but once you and Adam got outside... I'm sure you recall. that, I mean, you had a moment of feeling ill, yeah, and then you were like, "Okay, let's keep going, keep it moving." And I thought, "Wow, <laughs> look at that trooper!"
0: Yeah, I, I was pretty <laughs> pleased with my performance on the soup. That was a, that felt like a kind of a rock star moment of, of all the the different <laughs> different things we encountered on the race. I think that's one of my prouder moments.
1: My personal. And was the music just, uh, you know, there were some musicians there playing in the background. Was that just to add a touch of madness to the whole situation? <laughs>
0: Honestly, I was in a zone. <laughs> I don't even know what happened. I was don't just, even. Know. I was okay. like not. You could have. They could have been playing opera. I wouldn't have had no clue.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that. And that was uh, quite the moment, indeed. Every a lot of people were starting out. Oh, I've got this. And then halfway through, they were like, Oh man, I do not have this no, at
0: all. It was. It creeped up on you.
1: Well, I did want to ask you about another scenario, it involved an underwater task where you had to put on these old-style diving suits. I think they were around maybe 100 pounds each. So we're talking very old school, very retro. And I know Adam was very, very apprehensive. And I was wondering, you know, I felt like maybe that was something that I could do, but at the same time, I might be sweating bullets inside that thing. How was that experience for you? Do you recall when you were inside the diving suit underwater.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, it wasn't that bad. I, I was like, okay, this okay. this is okay. I mean, it was certainly like tricky getting into it because it was pretty claustrophobic yeah. and they screw you in. Like they lock you in there. You are in this thing. Like there's no getting now. And that's not really something I love to do or, you know, be locked into something like that and then pushed underwater. Um, but it wasn't, for me, that was like pretty mellow. It was a little nerve wracking, but... It wasn't too bad, but Adam really struggled with that because there's a valve in the back that you had to hit that released the pressure. Otherwise, you mm. blow up like the Stay puff Marshmallow Man, as you could see oh, wow. by Adam blowing up in the water and floating and not being able to yeah. complete the task. Um, but eventually, he got it, and we did it, and it was cool, but that was the... That was the uh, fast forward I was telling you about where they weren't prepared. They weren't yeah. thinking we were going to accomplish that <laughs> because when they you did. when they tested it with their personnel, nobody was able to do it because everybody was too claustrophobic, which I thought was really interesting. So nobody prepared Phil. Mm-hmm. Nobody was ready for us when we arrived at the pit stop because they're like, okay, Adam and Rebecca are definitely not going to achieve this.
1: I was really touched by your um encouragement of Adam during this uh time on the show.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was trying at times, but you know, what what could I do? I mean, I I was this was my partner. This was the these were the cards that were dealt and I was gonna make the best of it. I mean, certainly there were moments where I was not supportive of him and I feel like I was very abrasive and maybe critical. Um and I'm regretful of those moments because I feel like you can get a lot further with people, if you are positive and encouraging, um, but you factor in exhaustion and, and frustration, and sometimes we don't—we're not always able to put our best foot forward.
1: So it's very understandable. And, uh, you know, that can bring out all kinds of emotions, of course. I do remember, Rebecca, actually, it's funny how my mind works. It was shortly after this. I believe you were in an airport uh, waiting area. I think you were sitting down and you had basically just told him, very frustrated, like you just described it. You just felt like it should be over, that when you got home, you wanted it to be over. Mm And I could still see that he was just so apprehensive about it, like he was trying to talk you out of it. And I still wondered if you even believed what you said. So I, I, I was very interested wondering what was going to happen between the two of you dur- during the race. But I always noticed your encouragement of him when he achieved something maybe that took extra effort or was kind of scary. You were very um, supportive in that
0: way. Oh Well, I'm glad it came across that way because I, I look back and I'm like, God, I was such a bitch. And I feel like I broke up with him every six minutes because I was being <laughs> extremely extremely manipulative in terms of knowing that that was the absolute worst thing I could do for him. Like he didn't want to break up. So Mm -hmm. if I broke up with him, then he was just devastated. I'm like, aha, I'm pissed at you. I'm going to break up with you and that's going to make you pissed. And, you know, it was just very, it is very toxic in retrospect. I, I, that relationship was not going anywhere. We're great friends to this day. I love Adam. He's the best, but in terms of a relationship, that was a mismatch.
1: (laughs) But I'm- well, I'm glad to hear you're still friends. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Adam. That, that. That that warms my heart. He's the best. That, that's really nice. He's
0: the best. He's engaged, and he's doing wonderful. And he's you know finally moved out of his parents' house and has his own house. And yeah, he's amazing. That's I love great. Adam.
1: Well, please give him my best. I
0: will.
1: And your your physical fitness training. I thought was perfect for this scenario, Rebecca. And that was in Ethiopia. Basically it was just like running a track, you know, it was like almost like a mini marathon. (laughs) And uh, I was like, whoa, look at her go. Oh my gosh. (laughs) My legs
0: felt like they were 600 pounds each. Like I've never, I don't think I've ever, I'm not a a runner. That is definitely something I would never classify myself as. I don't run unless someone's chasing me. I do not enjoy it Mm. ever. So this if I looked like I was running fast, then that is pretty crazy because I... Hey,
1: some of that acting was coming through.
0: <laughs> oh, man. I was like, this well, is Well, running's
1: not your specialty, I see. Just because you're toned in other ways, that doesn't mean you're a fast runner. Exactly. Is that what you mean? Gotcha. Now, I'm very fast, so that was a thing that I was like, ooh, I would like to do that.
0: Oh, see? There you go. You know your strengths and what you're good at fitness-wise and and what maybe isn't isn't mm. your strong suit and for me running no <laughs> n o
1: well if we were on the same team i i could do stuff like that <laughs> okay. but the height stuff i'd be like go for it rebecca go for it all
0: right steven duly noted
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're getting close to the big finale uh, throughout this season, but I did want to ask you about, well, speaking of heights, oh my goodness, here we go again. And this involved a yield. I believe this was in China, mm. of all places, yeah. uh, which is very interesting to be filming there. And it was a very frustrating roadblock. I believe it was perhaps Payback mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> from from earlier in the race, and um, I believe it was uh, by Freddie and Kendra. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that had to be so frustrating. I'm just curious, how long does that thing last when you turn it over and you have to wait for the sand?
0: 30 minutes. It's a 30-minute yield. 30 Mm -hmm. minutes.
1: Okay, so enough to slow your momentum down a
0: little bit. Yeah, for sure. And that was a very emotional response. Like, they they weren't being critically – they weren't critically thinking about what the best move was in terms of uh, what was best for the race. Like, if they were thinking that way, they would have definitely yielded Chris and John. They were, like, the strongest team at that point. And they were just trying to get us back, and I, you know, I respect that. I get that. I understand how sometimes your emotion gets gets a hold of you, but it wasn't great strategy. In you know, looking at looking back on it, I don't think. I think they probably regret regretted yielding us. <laughs> I don't know if they'll ever admit that, but
1: <laughs> maybe privately they regret it. Maybe. <laughs> Well, I think this was a forty-story skyscraper, and oh, you talk about my head spinning now! Oh my goodness, <laughs> was you had to go straight down, uh, wash this window, I think, for the next clue, and then go, you know, pivot yourself down. That thing looked so high, Rebecca. I mean, how did you get through that? Well, it's 400 feet. And I remember
0: um, looking down at it and seeing all the other contestants when I was being yielded. And I thought, oh, God, thank God we don't have to jump off the building. Because that was my biggest fear. I was <laughs> like, I know we're going to have to jump off. I know we're going to jump off. And that's mm, 400 oh feet. My 400 feet above, yeah. you know, the ground. Like, No. So when I saw that they were had to window wash, I was like, oh, yeah, get, give it to me. I've got this all day long. So I get up there and I get all geared up with my safety harness and, and I step over the edge and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is GD terrifying, like terrifying because you have this little teeny lever and you're 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 literally being held on by one little rope. So you're sitting on this little teeny piece of wood and this little rope and you have this lever lever and you have to crank yourself. My lever was jammed. So I couldn't crank myself. So I'm just in sitting there in the middle of the sky and the wind is is swinging me across the face of this skyscraper. And I lost it. I mean, I this is an example of where I they gave me a good edit when I could they could have easily given me a bad oh. edit. They could have made me look like a complete psychopath, like losing my mind. But <laughs> oh, no. luckily, they had already decided I was going to be presented as like a strong character, so they didn't really give me too many edits where you saw me freaking out even though I did freak out a gotcha. lot. <laughs> gotcha. But yeah, that was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It was absolutely terrifying.
1: Wow. Well, like I said, Rebecca, you could do the heights. <laughs> So, I'm I'm sure Adam was thinking the same thing, being your partner. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. It took some courage there. But I'm sure... Do you have to tell yourself a million dollars, a million dollars, a million dollars? You know, the money... (laughs) Like to keep yourself going? The
0: money was never, not for one minute, a motivation. It was was fully about... Honestly, it wasn't. Like that for that was like, okay, if we win a game in dollars, that's amazing. Like killer, awesome, stoked on that. But yes. for me it was just about I didn't want to get eliminated because I didn't want to miss 1 ounce of the race. I wanted to experience mm-hmm. everything. I wanted to go everywhere, I wanted to do everything, and I didn't want to be robbed from that experience. So, yeah, the money was never a motivation. I I I, I just wasn't for me. I mean, I'm sure it is for a lot of other people, but I just wanted the experience
1: well, That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I can I connect to what you're saying, Rebecca, because, you know, yes, winning the money, okay, wow, that is phenomenal. Uh, and, and that's something to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. But it's that sense of not quitting, overcoming obstacles, and exceeding maybe your own expectations. I, I think that would be the, the greatest victory of all as a contestant.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the race was, was an integral part of my life and it was only four weeks in 2004. I mean, if, if a child was born the year, my race was aired, that child would be driving a car now to give you a perspective on how much time has gone by, but it wow. has, it has shaped my life. I mean, it was, it opened up so many doors and honestly, the job I'm in now, which is my absolute dream job would not have been possible without that, without the race opening doors upon doors upon doors which led to other doors and then it was kind of like a rung of the ladder presenting another rung presenting another rung um yeah so i'm i'm just so grateful for that whole experience and how it's shaped my life
1: watching you was was very memorable for me and that's one of the reasons i reached out to you so quickly (laughs) i definitely wanted to Get to uh, know more about you and and hear about your memories. And I really appreciate it. And I thought, well, here we go. The finale. We're talking about it. Interesting enough, back to the Windy City. Mm. Back to Chicago. But, well, before the final sprint to the finish line, Mm -hmm. I found it interesting. This It kind of caught me off guard. This little stop at this pizzeria. I I think it was maybe a medium-sized deep dish. (laughs) I could be wrong. But I'm thinking, okay, I kind of like that. But it's interesting. Uh, I remember that Kendra was like, oh, I've got this. Mm -hmm. And then she was just laboring at the end. Mm -hmm. Was Was it like... Bigger than it maybe looked? Yeah, we were all like, oh, really? That's all we have to do? Like, all of us.
0: I mean, it was like, (laughs) no big deal. Bring it. Like, this is the best challenge ever. Who doesn't love pizza? Like, come (laughs) on. Um, But it was one of those, it was like an optical illusion or something. Like, after two bites, it felt like like bricks in your stomach. And it was just, oh, my gosh. I remember at one point, I was like, I'm going to throw up. Like, I need a bucket because I'm going to throw up. And that was a very <laughs> surprising reaction. Oh my goodness. And I think we all experienced that. We're like we were not anticipating the the grueling nature of that challenge. It was it caught us all off guard.
1: I see. Wow. <laughs> well I I had a feeling there was probably a little more to it, but I thought, okay, a pit stop for pizza. Yeah. That's not too bad. So... Well, before I ask you what it was like to cross the finish line. Yeah. Arriving in third place, mm-hmm. uh, I am thinking now of taxis, the frantic search for taxis. And it makes me think of the entire race. Uh, taxis are like buying airline tickets. Yeah. You say? Oh, yeah. If you get a great driver, You're in good shape. If you got someone that does not really understand where you need to go, it has to be very frustrating.
0: You know, the taxis make or break the race, period. End of story. And the thing is, and when you're in countries that don't speak English, you're at the mercy of them. You have to trust that they know where they're going and that they understand what you're asking. And there's no way to prove it. So you're just like, it's like, okay, here we are. And for a lot of teams, that was Mm -hmm. hard to accept, you know, just the. The lack of control and the and the needing to just allow and trust. that was that was hard for a lot of us um, because we want to be in control of the situation at all times and we had no control sure. over that. So uh, a lot of people will sit home and they'll watch the amazing race and they'll be like, oh, 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 if I had this partner and I did this, I could win the race. But the thing is there's so mm. many intangibles, so many factors. So many variables that are out of your control that you could be the strongest, most intelligent, 10-speaking language person on the planet and get in the wrong taxi and you're out. So, yeah, it uh, it really comes down to the taxis. It's all about luck. really is about luck and just what's meant to be. Luck da- is a factor, a factor in this race. Yeah.
1: Yeah. How many times did we see with taxis where they asked, like, uh, do you understand how to get to this building? Yes, yes,
0: yes. And yes. the
1: response was, <laughs> Yes. And then they wind up on the other side of town. <laughs> no, I mean, it's I like, like comical, right? The poor driver. That's- he probably <laughs> thought they wanted to go the other way. and
0: I know. I think there's a few parts on the race where I'm actually like, <laughs> do you know where this is? And I'm like, yes. I'm like, are you sure you know? Look into my eye. Like, <laughs> yeah. I need to know that you really do know.
1: Because, you know, they say yes. Look into my yes. eyes. I want to see. I want you
0: to look into <laughs> your soul to see if you are lying.
1: <laughs> Raise your right hand. Yeah. Repeat after me. <laughs> I know where this is. Ugh, so frustrating. <laughs> well, Rebecca, you and Adam, oh, so close to the winning prize. So close. And I'll tell you what, you you did both did a great job, obviously, and I've really enjoyed these sentimental memories you are sharing so much. I wanted to have a contestant from The Amazing Race and to have you be that first contestant oh. as a guest on my show is really an honor for me. And I just wanted to ask, what does it feel like after all of that effort to 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 wind up in third place? What was the emotions you recall feeling at that time?
0: Uh, The emotions I recall feeling were just complete and utter gratitude that there was. We had no business being in third place. We had no business being the not making it past the first day. Like we we were ill equipped on so many levels. Um, So I just felt so grateful that we got to cross the finish line. That's all I wanted. Um, I I don't think I could have been happier if I was in first place, honestly, like my level of, of complete elation was monumental It was through the roof. And certainly there are moments where like, oh, if I'd just gotten on that flight in Japan, then it would have been a foot race between Kendra and Freddie and I, and, and me and Adam, and we would have probably won. But then I was like, but who cares? Like, it's just money. And, and it's that, that's not, it's not like life-changing. I mean, it's life-changing money for, you know, for a lot of people. It's a lot of money. I'm not trying to say it isn't, but it's more about, for me, the experience and just getting to experience it all, meeting the people and seeing all the different cultures and tasting all the different foods and, and uh, just all of those things that you can't really put a price on. So yeah, to answer your question in a really roundabout way, I was very, very, very hatful, happy and pleased and grateful to finish third.
1: Well, that was wonderful to listen to, Thank you, <laughs> Rebecca and I tell you what you were you and adam you you did become like underdogs because of a few situations that went awry, yeah. and you still bounced back to be in third place and and that is so impressive and i I found that actually very inspirational when I was watching you and Adam. Crossed the line into third place.
0: Well, it's very kind well, of Well, I would like
1: to ask you, yeah. what is Phil, the host, like? Because I have to say, <laughs> I think he does an outstanding job. I love how he creates drama, but in a subtle way, that those pauses.
0: <laughs> yeah, Phil's the coolest. You know, he's. I didn't get to spend too much time with him. We would just be at the pit stop and on the mat and... That was really our only interaction with, aside from a few pit stops um, where we would have meals together. Um, But mostly he kind of kept to himself and he was always, uh, you know, several steps ahead of us because he had to be where we were going and be set up and be acclimated. So there wasn't a lot of fill time for for me. Um, But he was great, you know, super funny and friendly and just laid back and low key. And he asked good questions on the mat. And I, I really enjoyed him. Um, But like a year after, I remember a year after the race, I was in, in the gym and he was, he was in there too. And I went up to him and I'm like, oh my God, Phil!" And he like had no <laughs> clue who I was. And I, I was like, okay, oh, no. clearly he is like, you know, it's a job for him and he, he isn't really invested in, in us as, as players. He's just kind of like this is my job, this is what I'm going to say, and this is what I'm going to do, and moving on to the next. But you have to figure there's so many teams and so many seasons. Sure. I mean, how could he possibly yes. keep everyone straight? So, of course, I didn't take it personally. Would not be easy. <laughs> no.
1: Well, I always enjoy the end of the episodes when, you know, you're waiting for, you know, what uh, number you came in yeah. at the conclusion. It's, They're uh, good it's with the very creating exciting.
0: suspension.
1: Well, my final question for you, because you already answered whether or not you keep in touch with Adam, and mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. And I, if he's listening, Adam, I want to wish you all the best. <laughs> and please give him my best if you happen to speak with him down the road. I but will. what lessons, when you look back, all, you mentioned how much time has gone by. Yeah. What lessons can, do you take from your experience on the amazing race that, that you apply to your life today?
0: Gosh, there's so many lessons. I think um, one of the biggest ones is to just be present in the moment and be grateful for every single moment. I mean, that's really one that I apply daily. I mean, I wake up every day and I say thank you no matter what. It's just such a gift every day. And there were so many gifts on the race and so many that that still to this day keep on giving just all the places I, I got to go and Um, all the people I got to meet. And I think another big lesson is to just to keep going. And when things seem horrible and terrible, and there's no way out of it, it's just sometimes you you don't have all the information and you can't see the big picture yet. And then those horrible things end up being uh, a godsend and kind of like a blessing. And you look back and you're like, oh my God, thank God I missed that or I didn't get that taxi or thank God I didn't Um, get that thing I thought I wanted because something even better was around the corner. So that's a great life lesson. I feel like that can be applied to everything, you know, when things don't go our way or we're having a a situation occur that is really kind of weighing on us. And then all of a sudden the tide turns and you're like, wow, I'm I'm feeling very optimistic about what's coming.
1: That is beautiful perspective and something to hold on to going into this brand new year for all of us. So thank you for your time and for visiting me today. I have to tell you, I had so much fun speaking with you. I felt like I was on the
0: race. <laughs> well, maybe you should apply and you can go run for yourself and experience all these things I experienced.
1: <laughs> That's right. And you can cheer me on when I'm Absolutely. on and watch Absolutely. me. I'll cheer you on from my
0: couch. <laughs> Oh, my God. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun revisiting The Amazing Race. It's been so many years, so it was such a blast to talk about. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you goes out to my wonderful guest, Rebecca Cardin. Although Rebecca did not win the $1 million prize on The Amazing Race, her accomplishments both before and after the race have made it clear that she is indeed a true winner. Thank you for listening, friends and listeners. Happy New Year. I'll see you on another episode of Hollywood and Beyond. Thank you.
0: Oh, you are so kind, Stephen. Thank you so much, and thank you for just being so patient with me and through all of this. Um, yeah. Hi.
2: <laughs> Hi. Adam and Rebecca, you're the third team to arrive. Thank you. The race has taught me that I could leave home and leave my comfort zone and get along in the world. And the world is an amazing place. Adam and I will always
0: have love for each other. To say if we're meant to be together forever, I don't think either one of us can answer right now. But whatever happens, I will always have him in my heart.
1: The Amazing Race is currently available to view over on CBS All Access, including the season that my special guest, Rebecca Cardin, appeared on, season number six of The Amazing Race.